Father, thank you for a chance to be together as your family, um, to, to lift up your name, to sing worship together, to share bread and wine as we remember Jesus and all that he's done for us, and to listen to your word together. And as we come to do that now, um, Father, I want to thank you for the words that Francine read earlier, that uh, whenever your word goes out, it's like the rain which never returns to the sky without doing what it came to do, which is to bring life from the ground and to bring a harvest and to bring fruit. And so we want to pray in faith. We want to trust that, that as your word goes out this morning, it will not return to you empty, but it will do what it was sent to do, which is to grow good fruit in our lives. Father, I want to pray that our hearts would be receptive, good soil, ready to receive your word. And we pray that you would bring all kinds of new life and new good fruit uh, as a result of hearing your word today. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, hopefully, somewhere around your seat this morning, um, you found one of these. Do you want to wave them at me? Show me if you got one. Um, there are... There are lots extra up here in a box, so if you didn't get one, uh, don't feel left out. You can come and grab one um, later on. Uh, but we are beginning um, a new series in which we're going to be exploring Mark together. And I guess, and we wanted to give you all a copy. That is yours to take away. We'd love you to take it with you, put it in your handbag, put it in your man bag, put it in your car, take it to work with you, take it to the coffee shop, take it to the doctor's surgery. Um, there's something about the Word of God doesn't just belong here in church on a Sunday morning. It belongs in life. And so even just the symbolism of taking this little book and taking it into the spaces of your life, uh, we'd love to encourage you um, to do that. We'd love, love to encourage you as we follow this series to kind of have your own little adventure with the Gospel of Mark. And you can take this and you can underline it and you can write on it and you can highlight it. Um, and do whatever uh, you want to do. Um, we're, in this series, we're only really going to be looking at the first half of Mark, up to about chapter 8, but you have my permission to read on. Um, you can read on to the end um, of the Gospel. Um, we're not going to be dealing with everything in the Gospel, uh, even in the first eight chapters in this series. And again, uh, please read the bits in between. We're not missing them out because they're not good. We just can't deal with everything on a Sunday morning. Um, so uh, we want you to fill in the gaps and read it all. And I guess, really especially, we'd love to encourage you to talk to each other about Mark. So if you're meeting someone for lunch, meeting someone for coffee, going for a walk, pull it out of your back pocket and chat about what you've been seeing. What have you noticed? What are you learning? Um, what light bulb moments have you had? What questions do you have that are puzzling you? And um, we'd love you to be, be talking about it together. Um, very quick introduction to Mark's gospel. I have, I've always had a soft spot for Mark, um, possibly partly because it was probably written by someone called John Mark, and there's not many of us around. Um, John Mark was a young disciple of Jesus, not one of the original 12, but a, a young believer who was around at the time of Jesus. Um, a lot of people think when you're reading through your Mark's gospel, when you get to chapter 14, there's a strange little story whenever Jesus is being arrested about a young man um, who was wearing a linen garment and whenever the soldiers or somebody grabbed him, he ran away naked into the night, uh, leaving the, the cloak behind. 
A lot of people think that was John Mark, that he put himself in the story, but didn't name himself. So that may be John Mark running uh, into the night. Um, a lot of people think John Mark may have had a close connection with Peter, and that a lot of the material that's in Mark's gospel may have been uh, word of mouth testimony from Peter. There's lots of reasons why uh, people think that may, may be uh, the case. It was probably the first gospel written. Um, both Luke and Matthew seem to have used Mark as material when they were writing theirs. Um, so Mark was probably the first uh, written down. It is the shortest and the simplest of all the gospels. You could say maybe the least sophisticated. Uh, there's a kind of um, simplicity to Mark, uh, which I love. It, it has a kind of hot off the press feeling. Uh, like nobody has ever written down this story uh, before and Mark can't wait to tell us. And so there's a lot of urgency in Mark and a lot of movement. And you'll notice as you read it, it keeps saying things like straight away and immediately and right after that and without delay. Um, and there's this kind of uh, breathless quality to Mark. Uh, Mark can't wait to tell us the good news. It's kind of bursting out of him. Um, and so those are just some of the reasons why I love Mark and I want to encourage you um, to read it and think about it and pray about it and talk about it uh, over the next wee while. Um, but this morning we're going to jump in and read a little bit from the first chapter of Mark. Um, so I'm going to read the first line of Mark and then we're going to jump down and read um, from a little bit further down. Um, and I want you just to notice this first line. This is how uh, Mark begins his gospel. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So lots of ways Mark could have begun. This is how he begins. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Um, and we're going to skip over a little bit. Mark talks about John the Baptist, and he talks about the baptism of Jesus, and he talks about Jesus going into the wilderness. And then we're going to pick up uh, down at verse 14. And it says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed them, followed him. You'll notice even in that little short reading, uh, we have at once and without delay, and you get this movement going on all the time um, in Mark. Um, I want to I focus our thoughts this morning really around two words in this passage. So it's quite a simple uh, beginning um, in Mark's gospel. And the first word I want to focus on is the word believe. Um, Jesus goes around Galilee as he begins his public ministry, um, really with quite a simple message. Um, which is summed up in, in a couple of sentences. But at the very heart of that simple message is an invitation to 
believe. Actually, of course, it's an invitation to repent and believe. And repent means to turn around or to turn away from your former way of life. But then there's this call to believe. Uh, let me ask a few questions on your behalf. So we're to, the call is to believe, but to believe what? To believe the good news. That phrase is repeated several times in what we read. To believe the good news. But what is the good news? Well, the summary here that's given to us is the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. And again, maybe we still have questions. We want to know, well, what does that mean? We're to believe the good news. The good news is that the kingdom has come near. Um, But what does that mean? It means that in some way, God's kingdom um, is breaking in. In some way, God's kingdom is now available and accessible in the here and now. So you could almost reach out and touch it. The older translations say the kingdom of God is at hand, which is that sense of you could almost reach out and touch it. And if you think about that for a moment, you realize that in that moment as Jesus goes around Galilee, the kingdom of God is present because Jesus himself is present. The kingdom is at hand because the king is at hand. And those who were listening to him, if they wanted to, could literally reach out their hand and touch him. And because Jesus has come near to where they are, the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom is present because the king is present. And so if we put all of that together that we've just reflected on, the heart of the message of Jesus as he went around Galilee is an invitation to believe in him, that he is the king who brings the kingdom, right? That Jesus is the walking, talking good news. The good news is Jesus, right? And so the invitation is an invitation to believe in him. Um, Or as Mark put it back in the very first verse that we read that I underlined, um, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the son of God. Messiah, of course, is a word that simply means the anointed one or the king we've been waiting for, the long expected king that had been spoken of uh, by the prophets in the Old Testament. Um, So the heart of the message of Jesus is an invitation to believe in him as the king who brings the kingdom. Maybe we could say, um, if we were to ask John Mark why he wrote this gospel, one good answer, I think, would be to invite and encourage and persuade you, the reader, to also believe this good news, to, to join him in believing this. Um, I don't know if you ever watch kind of murder mystery dramas on TV or uh, on film. Um, sometimes when you watch a murder mystery, um, or maybe maybe normally when you watch a murder mystery, you don't know who done it, right, um, as you watch. And you're kind of joining the characters and the detective and the police in trying to figure it out and trying to solve it. And you have your guesses. And then maybe later on in the drama, you find out who the the murderer was. Um, Occasionally, when you're watching one of those TV shows, you as the viewer find out at the very beginning. You see the murder happening, and you know who who done it. Um, But the characters in the story don't know, and you then watch them getting it wrong, and you're thinking, they're so stupid, but you've been told already, um, as they try and stumble around and solve uh, the mystery. And in some ways, Mark's gospel is like a mystery story where the author tells you who done it 
right at the beginning. Because Mark tells you in his first sentence, he can't wait to tell you, that he believes Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. But what you then get to see is the characters in the story, especially the disciples and the crowd, um, trying to solve the puzzle for themselves and wondering who Jesus is. Um, uh, and that's kind of the key question of the first half of the book of Mark, is the characters trying to work out who is this who does these things and says these things and acts like this and, um, and is this way. Um, and it kind of reaches a climax when you get to Mark 8. So I'm jumping ahead a tiny bit. Um, when Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? So at that point in the story, people have been watching, people have been listening. Who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're this and some say you're that. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. But then Jesus says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? It's, it's a moment in the story when you almost imagine Jesus turning to you as the reader and asking you the question, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter who is always the loudest and the boldest, says what Mark had already said at the very beginning of the book. He says, you're the Messiah. And so the characters in the book are starting to discover what Mark had already told us at the beginning. Peter is saying, you're the king we've been waiting for. You're the king who brings the kingdom. Um, so that's a lot of what the first part of Mark um, is about. Um, and maybe um, for you this morning, maybe for some of us here, or some of us listening, maybe this is something you don't yet believe. Maybe you are intrigued by Jesus or puzzled by Jesus. Maybe you're kind of drawn to Jesus, but you also have a lot of questions and things you're confused about or wonder about. Um, maybe you would say you kind of believe or half believe. Um, if that's kind of where you are as we begin this series, um, I'd love to encourage you to do something that may seem a little bit strange. Um, I'd love to encourage you over the next while to take up this gospel and read it for yourself. Uh, and as you read it, I'd love to encourage you to pray a very simple prayer, something like this. You can put it in your own words, but pray something like this. Jesus, I don't know if this story is true. I don't know if you are who people say you are. I don't even know if you're here listening to me or if I'm just talking to myself. But if you are real, and you're here, and you're alive, and if you're the king of the whole world, as people say, would you come and meet with me as I read this book, and let me know in my heart that I am in the presence of the king, right? Worst thing that can happen is you're just talking to yourself, nothing happens. Best thing that can happen, you can fill in the blank of where that might go, right? But I want to encourage you to pray a prayer like that um, as you read uh, Mark's gospel. So that's the first word, um, the word believe. Jesus is inviting people, Mark is inviting people um, to come and believe in Jesus as the king who brings the kingdom. Uh, but the second word and the one that I want to focus on for the rest of our time um, is this word follow. Jesus uh, in the verses that we read doesn't just invite people to believe in him. He also invites people to follow him. And we meet these two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew and James and John, and they're fishermen, and they're doing what they've always done whenever we meet them. They are 
casting nets into the sea. They are repairing their nets, ready to go fishing again. It's just for them an ordinary day at work, doing what they've always done. And then this stranger is standing in front of them. And he speaks just three words. It's an extraordinary moment. He says, come, follow me. Actually, he says a wee bit more than that, but those are the first three. Come, follow me. And without hesitation, they leave everything and they follow him. And they leave their nets and they leave their father and they leave their colleagues and they follow Jesus. Um, maybe we could say, if one reason Mark has written this gospel is to invite you and persuade you to believe in Jesus, here is another reason. To invite you, he's written this gospel to invite you to become a follower of Jesus because everyone who believes in Jesus must also become a follower. Um, the two go together. But maybe this is where we sometimes get a little bit puzzled because we can see what that meant for Simon and Andrew and James and John because when Jesus said, come follow me, they physically got up from their boats and their nets and they left behind their former way of life and they literally went and followed Jesus around Galilee, right? The following was literal and physical for them. But maybe you and I can get a bit puzzled. What, what does it mean for us today to be a follower of Jesus? Well, let's think about that a wee bit together. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a disciple of Jesus. Those, those two ideas go together. But again, maybe disciple is kind of a religious word and maybe it still leaves us a little bit puzzled. But another word for a disciple is an apprentice. And maybe that brings us a little bit closer to kind of demystifying what it means to be a follower. Um, you and I have some idea of what it means to be an apprentice. An apprentice is someone who's attached themselves to another person in order to learn a skill or a craft or something else. So I'm going to pick on Robin McNeil for a moment, who's sitting down at the back. Is that all right, Robin? I didn't ask you beforehand. Um, a lot of you will know Robin is an apprentice plumber and has been for the last couple of years. Um, it's quite a long uh, training and apprenticeship. Uh, but what, what does that mean? It means Robin has attached himself to a fully trained professional plumber. I don't know what Robin, do you call him your boss or your master or I don't know what you call him? Your boss. Um, but he's attached himself to his boss in order to learn how to plumb. I don't know if that's a verb or not, but he's learning how to plumb. Um, and what is that? It means something for Robin, quite literal and physical. He travels in the van with him or follows in his own van behind. He, he watches carefully what his boss does and he listens carefully to his instructions. And then I assume his boss encourages Robin to have a go and do it for himself. And then maybe he corrects him sometimes, occasionally. Um, maybe he encourages him, tells him, you're doing a great job. Um, and the goal is that Robin will learn to do these things like his boss. Um, and maybe that little picture of being an apprentice can help us as we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is to be an apprentice of Jesus. And if you ask what skill or craft is he teaching us, um, the answer, I think, is simply this. He's teaching us how to live well. Or if I can make something a verb that's definitely not a verb, 
He's teaching us how to human, right? He's teaching us how to live well as a human being. Uh, because we as human beings have lost our way and we've forgotten who we are. And Jesus has come to restore us to our true identity. So we can become whole and holy. So we can become fully human and fully alive. And so as apprentices learning how to live, we do what Robin does with his boss. We watch very carefully to see how he does it. And we listen very carefully to his instructions. And then he starts to encourage us, us to have a go and do it ourselves. And then he corrects us or he encourages us and he helps us to not give up and to try again and to keep going and to keep learning. And I wonder if that little picture can help us in thinking about what it means to be a follower. Um, I should say one big difference between Robin's apprenticeship and ours, apart from it not being about plumbing, um, is that the goal of Robin's apprenticeship is that he will become independent of his boss. That, and I know Robin's looking forward to this, he'll go out on his own and have his own name on the van uh, and he'll be his own boss um, and maybe take on apprentices in the future of his own. And so the goal is independence and kind of breaking free. Um, it is important to say in our apprenticeship to Jesus, the goal is not independence. He does, he does definitely want us to be fully involved and to play a real part. And there's a real dignity in the, the real part that Jesus gives us to play. But this is a lifelong apprenticeship in which we will always be learners, in which we'll always be joyfully dependent on our master. And so if you've been following Jesus for 50 years, you will still get up every morning and present yourself to your master and say, here I am. I'm still a learner and a beginner. Show me today how to live well. Teach me today how to human. Because um, I forget and I lose my way and I stumble. Would you show me again? Um, and it may be that in the future or even now, you take on others. We sometimes talk about discipling other people in the Christian faith. But it's important to say you're not inviting them to follow you. <laughs> you're inviting them always to join you in following Jesus, right? And so it's a lifelong apprenticeship in which even after 50 years, you're a learner and a beginner uh, following your master. Um, and so maybe similarly to what we said before, if you are someone who already believes, like Mark, that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God, um, that Jesus is the King who brings the kingdom, then I want to encourage you as you take up Mark's gospel and read it, um, maybe to pray something like this, and again, translate it into your own words. But you could pray something like this. Jesus, you are my Lord and Master and King. You're the only person who's ever lived a whole and holy human life. Would you show me how to live like you lived? Would you teach me how to live well as a human being? I want to watch how you do it and listen to your instruction until my life starts to reflect the beauty of your life. Amen. You can pray something like that as you read. We read not only as a believer, but also as a follower. Um, and maybe for the last few minutes, um, so we've thought about being a believer uh, in Jesus as the king who brings the kingdom. We've thought about 
being a follower of Jesus, learning from him how to live well. And really this series that we're going into, we're going to be focusing on that angle of what does it mean for us to be a follower of this Jesus as we read Mark's gospel. Um, But I guess I've been reflecting on this, that these two things, believing and following, following and believing, go together. They are really the two sides of one coin. Uh, And we shouldn't ever be able to separate them. We shouldn't ever try to separate them. And when we do kind of divorce them, um, things go badly wrong. Our our Christian uh, life and our Christian culture can go a bit wonky, um, to use the technical term. Uh, It can go, it can can become really unhealthy. Um, And I wanted to say something maybe maybe a little bit provocative, that um, as I reflect on this, I think in our religious culture here in Northern Ireland, um, and I'm thinking really about the churches like ours that call themselves evangelical, people of the gospel, uh, or that maybe call themselves born again. Um, I think in our religious culture, and you can tell me later if you agree, we've been very good at talking a lot about believing in Jesus. That's been a very strong part of our religious culture. Um, We've talked about that a lot, and we've talked about that loudly and clearly. Um, So preachers have called people to make a faith decision, to raise their hand, to come to the front, to trust Jesus, to put their faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and that's been very strong. Uh, Or if you think of the verses that appear as you drive around Northern Ireland on billboards and in front of churches, they've often tended to major towards the verses that are about believing in Jesus. Probably most famously, John 3, 16, which we sang earlier on, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Um, or maybe it's been Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Um, or maybe it's been Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That theme of believing in Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus, trusting Jesus has been really strong. Um, And I want to make sure you hear me say this really loudly. That emphasis on believing and the centrality of faith is deeply biblical and absolutely essential, right? So that is right and good and proper and essential and urgent and vital and remains so um, going forward. But I guess this is maybe the provocative thing that I want to throw out to you, that there has not always been a similar emphasis on following Jesus. It's not that that hasn't been talked about, but it maybe has been a much more muted emphasis on becoming a lifelong disciple and apprentice of Jesus, learning from Jesus how to live well, taking his example seriously, taking his teaching seriously, being transformed into his likeness as we follow him, so we reflect the life and the beauty of Jesus. Um, We've had a really good emphasis on believing, maybe sometimes not as much on following. And I guess I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, what would you expect to happen in such a culture? Um, If you had a culture where people are invited to believe in Jesus, but not always encouraged to follow Jesus, um, I think you would expect to find a culture of religious babies. And I'm I'm using that phrase deliberately because people put their trust in Jesus, 
say the prayer, raise their hand, they get saved, they get born again. But then there's no daily, lifelong commitment to following Jesus. There's no radical and costly discipleship. There's no deep transformation into the likeness of the one we follow. And of course, I'm not saying that's always been the case. There are lots and lots and lots of beautiful exceptions. But I may be drawing a, a broad observation about uh, some of the trends in our culture. You get people who are born again, but remain as spiritual babies. They believe all the right things about Jesus. They talk a lot about Jesus, but there's not much sign of the character of Jesus being formed in them. There's not much sign of the fruit of the Spirit. There's not much sign of learning to live well as a human being. And so I know I'm being a bit provocative, but I'm throwing that out to you to think about and talk about. Do you recognize that as, as at least partly true um, of parts of our religious culture? And I should say, by the way, there is, of course, another danger on the other side. Um, if we try to follow Jesus without believing in him, we end up in all kinds of mess as well. Because we end up trying to follow his example and his teaching, but we try to do it in our own strength and out of our own resources. And that leads to all kinds of ugly mess whenever we do that. We follow as those who already believe. We are trusting Jesus as our savior and healer and rescuer and deliverer and all the things we've been singing about this morning. We are trusting his spirit at work within us to change us from within. We are trusting his resurrection power or we are lost, right? And so don't, don't take what I'm saying this morning to be, I'm going to follow and forget about the believing. We need the two together. What God has brought together, let no man separate, just to misuse that verse entirely. Um, the two belong together, the believing and the following. Um, maybe the last couple of comments um, I want to make before we finish. Um, believing involves your head and your heart. Believing is something that is quite hidden and inward. Um, it happens in the secret place within you. Um, it's invisible to those around you. But following involves your feet and your hands and your body. It is public and outward and visible, the inward faith being expressed in action. It's about how you live in relation to other people. It's about how you live in your house, with your family, with your housemates, with your friends, with your neighbours, with strangers you meet, with enemies and people you find difficult. It's about how you do your daily work. It's about how you spend your money, what you watch and listen to, how you speak. It's about your sex life and your social life. And well, to be honest, it's about your life, right? All of your life, your ordinary everyday sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. It's about learning to walk in his steps. It's about your feet, learning to live like him, learning to love like him, learning to walk like Jesus. Um, last thing, um, Bill Maher um, is a comedian who is skeptical of Christianity, but sometimes says some very uh, challenging things. And he made a comment one time, he said, he's speaking in America, but I think it applies to us. Um, he says, most Christians he knows are not really followers of Jesus. They're just fans. He says, because they don't pay a lot of attention to the things Jesus did or the things Jesus taught. They're just fans. 
Um, and I find that really challenging, kind of gets you in the gut. Um, am I a follower of Jesus or just a fan? Am I a follower of Jesus or just a believer? Um, maybe this series can be, for all of us, an opportunity um, to say again really strongly, um, I don't want to just believe in my heart. I also want to follow with my feet, right? I want the, what's going on inwardly to flow outward to my whole life. Um, and maybe one little picture of this. In a, in a few weeks' time, some of you are going to walk into the sea um, with your clothes on or with a wetsuit on and be plunged down under the water. What are those who are being baptized saying publicly? They're certainly saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the Messiah. I believe he's the king. I believe he's my savior. I believe he died for my sins. They're saying all of those things. But as your whole body goes under the water and comes up drenched, it's also a way of saying, all of me belongs to Jesus. Every bit of me that's dripping wet right now, right? My head, my heart, my feet, my hands, my whole being, my whole life belongs to Jesus. I have died with Jesus and I've been raised with him to walk in newness of life. Um, or to put it another way, I have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. Right? And so maybe as we get ready for baptism, it's a chance to... Uh, reflect on those things again, that we believe in our hearts, but we also want to follow with our feet. Um, let's pray together, um, and then we're going to sing a song, and then we're done. Uh, let me remind you, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning for anything going on in your heart or in your life, uh, there'll be a couple of people up here at the front. I'd love to pray with you uh, before you go. Um, let's pray together. Father, as we finish this morning, we want to we thank you for Jesus, that he is the walking, talking, living, good news. We want to thank you that he is the one who brings your kingdom near so that it's available and accessible to each of us. Father, I want to pray for anybody who's here this morning or watching online. Um, who doesn't yet believe or is not sure if they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the King. And I want to pray that even this morning or even this week or even over the next while as they read Mark's gospel, um, you would come near, that you would draw near and reveal yourself to them. And that they would come to believe in their heart that you are who you say you are that you are the king who has come to set the captives free, to lead us into life. Um, Father, I want to pray for, for all of us, uh, for those of us who've been following Jesus uh, for a little while or for a long while. Um, Father, I pray you would forgive us when we are complacent and apathetic and we're content just to believe in Jesus, but not really to take seriously the daily taking up of our cross and following you. And Father, if we have been in that place of complacency, I do want to pray that even this morning you would come and wake us up and shake us up 
And would you set us back on our feet and send us into a life of radical discipleship, of laying down our lives, of making our whole selves available to you. We can't do it by ourselves, but you haven't left us alone to do that following. You've put your spirit within us. You've given us your resurrection life. So Father, would you help us even in the week that's ahead to put our bodies on the line, to give you our feet, to give you our hands, to give you our whole lives, to learn what it means day by day to follow Jesus in all the spaces of our lives. And Father, what an amazing thing it would be as we look around this room if all of us uh, were people who are being daily transformed into the image of Jesus and then going and living that out among our neighbours, among our friends, among our colleagues, so they see the beauty of Jesus in us. So they don't just hear us say, I believe, but also see the reality of the life of Jesus in our lives. And we pray that you would make it so by your spirit at work within us. As your word does its work in our hearts, would you make us like Jesus? Uh, Because we pray in his name. Amen.